Hello and welcome to North 100, a Canadian Highlander podcast. I'm Serge. Joining me today, I have a Jer. Hello. A Wheeler. Hello. And unfortunately, Alex is absent. So you see what happened is he got so mad in a Twitter argument that he actually got his Planeswalker spark. And now, apparently, he's in Ravnica fighting Bolas. Seems legit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or he's in Boston at PAX. I'm not sure which, you know, go with uh, whichever one makes the most sense to you. Uh, reminder that North 100... <laughs> Is brought to you by you with your support over at the Patreon at patreon.com slash loading ready run. All right, let's start off with the best card that you're not playing. Jer, you're up today. Tell me your secrets. All right, so this won't be a huge surprise to those of you that watched the last Friday night paper fight, Can Lander League, episode two, Electric, Everyone Lost a Lou. Um, no more, undef- I guess that's spoilers. I won't spoil too much. Yeah, watch um, it. Watch, watch it. it. It's very yeah. exciting. Yeah, but. A slight spoiler from that, and for those who watch my stream, uh, <laughs> Wilderness Reclamation is the best card you're not playing. The Scourge of Standard. The also Scourge of Surge. Probably better than you expected in Highlander. So, yeah, I mean, this is a four mana do nothing enchantment. All right. Well, the problem with most do nothing cards is that you play them and then you're like, oh, I really got to untap with this. Like, I hope I don't die on my next turn. But that fixes that weakness because you get to untap immediately <laughs> on your turn if they have a problem like a planeswalker and you have a planeswalker removal spell you can play this and kill their planeswalker before they get to activate it you can play this and untap with counter magic sorry that really cracks me up the idea of of uh i need to untap with this you're like ha yeah <laughs> exactly and so that's that's one of the things i looked at is like sure it's do nothing it's kind of gimmicky but it does solve some of the downsides of some of those issues and it also leads to some interesting deck building because hmm. it leads you to want to put in more instant speed things it leads you to put in want to put in more card draw it leads you to put want to put in more mana sinks and you get to play some really interesting cards that you may not play otherwise what deck is this going into uh so i played it in a control deck a bug control deck i also think that a Bant shell or a four color or even five color shell are totally reasonable to slot this card in. The mana requirement in terms of colored mana is as low as it gets, uh, super easy to cast. Uh, you're likely gonna wanna pair it with blue as your base color. Uh, you wanna yeah. draw You wanna draw cards with this. I mean, the that's... downside, it does push you into green in control. I don't think that's a downside. Green has a, uh, green has a lot of good, good control cards. Like, Sultai Charm was an all-star for me. Uh, and you also get to play a lot of versatile answers like Maelstrom Pulse, Assassin's Trophy, Abrupt Decay. So I don't necessarily think being in green and control is that big of a downside. And hmm. the more colors you go into, the, the, the more lighter answers the, you get. The lighter the green splash can be. Yeah. So uh, Combo Degenerate Wheeler, uh, question for you. Yeah. Have you thought about this in combo? Any way you could break it wide open? Or do you think it's just kind of the value control that we we have proposed by Jer here? I think it's probably just best in that kind of control shell. Like, <clears throat> my first thought when I'm looking at this is, oh, this card would be great with time walks. But you know what's also great with time walks? Just time it, nothing walk. itself. Just time <laughs> walks. Playing, playing Magic the Gathering. Um, but, like, it, like, it just feels like Putting this in combo is not where you want to be. Sure. Highlander is not, like, in standard, the Nexus decks, you know, they blur that line of combo and then kill you with this control finish. Sure, Like yeah. Niv or uh, Nimbusit Perrin or Teferi. Um, but for us, in our format, you don't have to do that. 
you can just kill them with Black Lotus. So why you don't need yeah, to go to this? That extra investment. All right. Well, if you want to see Wilderness Reclamation in action by Jer, uh, as hinted before, the um, week no, not week two, episode two, episode two. Let's go part to episode two. part two of the uh, of the Spring League is live on the Loading Ready Live YouTube channel. So check that out and. Little sneak peek, the episode three, part three, will be airing on uh, twitch.tv slash run April 26th, so check this out. So let's introduce today's theme. Speaking of War of the Spark, speaking of uh, everybody getting super hype on Planeswalkers on Twitter and the, 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 the latest releases have gone out and we're starting to see a lot of what's out there, we have prepared an episode all about Planeswalkers. So here's how it's gonna go. Uh, we are all going to talk about Planeswalkers in this format, how we evaluate Planeswalkers. <laughs> ben is making some faces over here because um, very powerful cards. How how do they line up in Highlander where, you know, we have access to the most powerful cards in throughout the history of Magic? Wheeler's, you can't, I don't know if the mic is picking it up. You can hear his teeth grinding. I sure love Planeswalkers. Yeah. Uh, then what we're going to talk about is our personal top five Planeswalkers, not necessarily the ones that we think are best, but the ones that we play the most. Or basically, we had to narrow down to five that we want to talk about, so we're going to talk about that. Then, then begins the rumbling. We're going to talk about our, collectively, the top five we think for the format and see how that goes. Uh, well, let's open it up really quickly. How do you feel Planeswalkers are positioned in Highlander right now? Let's go with Wheeler. You look like you have something to say. Hi, my name's Wheeler, and I have something to say. Yeah? Uh, I wouldn't play a Planeswalker on any given day. Um, no, I personally, I'm either, you need to have like 40 planeswalkers in your deck. I mean, yeah. don't get that carried away. Like the, the super friends archetypes. I'm a big fan of that when it just, it's this own like celestial being of you have so many planeswalkers and you're just going, you know, walker after walker after walker, or you just play like one. And I think a lot of people tend to kind of get in the middle like they the the first inclination is to slam a bunch of planeswalkers as like their top end curve uh for their mid-range decks for their aggro decks or they rely too heavily on them for uh control shells and i mean personally there's not a lot of planeswalkers that work well in combo decks Sure. Uh, there's, ooh, there's, ooh. There's like We're two. getting the, the no nod from Jer over here. All right. No, I was, I was no he's agreeing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm agreeing. Oh, all right, I, all right. I, I think the walkers that we all believe would be fine in combo shells are very evident that they belong in those shells. Yeah, I was, I was shaking my head because I was thinking about all the planeswalkers I see people playing in combo. Yeah, that's kind of heinous. It's not but. interesting. Interesting. Uh, Jer, how do you feel? Uh... I like I'm I'm a little more medium on them than Ben. Uh I like I like winning a game with a Teferi or a Jace the Mind Sculptor as much as the next person. Uh I'm likely to include like instead of Ben's one, I'm I'm on the two or three, but I'm I'm well well away from the six. I'd air air closer to one than six. Interesting. I'd say. Apparently, I'm I'm old school for the format here. I'm oh, not you, bleeding edge. You love your planeswalker. I, I don't know about I love my planeswalker, but I I do feel uh, they have a place in the format. I feel uh, like the exact cases you're giving there in in your mid range decks. You're just like uh, you know if you line a planeswalker gains control, lives through their wrath. 
it can be it can be a win con and a finisher that dodges a lot of removal that some of the other decks you know uh flame slash doesn't kill my garrick right i mean there's for mid-range specifically um the one planeswalker is that's that's me just being me yeah but, like realistically having three one to three in the mid-range decks the control decks like i'm not going to say no to uh to fairy yeah. or jason control i'm not going to say no to doubling up on a garrick gideon nissa kind of trio for a mid-range deck but when people start getting up to like seven planeswalkers in their abzan mid-range decks hmm. And, you know, just, like, reaching for really weird kind of niche inclusions that don't synergize very well, that's well, when you're losing out on a lot of utility. Yeah, I also think people don't, they, they like, put Planeswalkers in there, like, all right, this is going to win me the game slot, but they don't actually think about how the games go that often. Hmm. Like, Planeswalkers, most Planeswalkers don't actually end games very quickly, and they're printing more and more answers to them. In the past two sets, there's Assassin's Trophy and Bedevil, just as as a just one for, for instance, it. yeah. Like, and so they're also getting less reliable as win conditions, and if, as opposed to something like like your classic Siege Rhinos, Thunderball, Hellkites, even like something like Pushing old back school old, like Batter Skull, uh, the old classic creatures there, yeah. Uh, or Wait, like your fair more, magic, <laughs> or or your more pro proactive or value oriented threats like. I've been a huge fan of Thrun recently. I think people are sleeping on the the troll again, hmm. and uh, I think it's very well positioned in our in our meta currently, as well as just some more value oriented threats like Ned mentioned earlier, Niv Mizzet Perun in in a standard context, but I'd I'd include it over a Planeswalker in any deck that could cast it nowadays. Just wanna just thinking where where uh, Planeswalkers have no place in combo um, hoof. I mean, I'd see Hoof as a, it, as a hybrid combo deck, and it gets so much value out of its Planeswalkers. It, it's that, a hybrid combo deck, but the Planeswalkers don't really contribute that much to the combo It's a, player. yeah, the, the hybrid part of Hoof is also, you're a, like a very much just a ramp deck, right? You're looking to hit uh, key mana points on key turns um, following a very kind of strict curve. And a lot of the Planeswalkers that you're including for that curve also happen to be like you can drop them on turn three or turn yeah, two they, and they get you to six the following turn or they also act as like a through the breach effect in some cases sure um and ramp ramp decks i think get a pass for planeswalkers because yeah. ramp decks will play cards like soul ring and mana crypt uh or just like talismans um, kind of in the in the super friends the same line as super friends where like yeah if you poop this out on turn two Great. And if you follow it up with another one on turn three, double great. Just trying to see where we go here, because we've, we've shifted our position to Planeswalkers have no room in the format. I don't think either of us yeah. were, were trying to say that. Okay, they, perfect. They, they certainly have a place in the format, but I, I think both Ben and I are less high on them than other people and in general think they're maybe a little overrated okay. as, a, as a card type in general. That's a sweeping generalization. As always, take it as gospel at your peril. <laughs> Okay, so we've we've gotten sort of a, a baseline as to our feelings and how they go there. How do you how do you evaluate planeswalkers? What do you think makes a good planeswalker versus a bad planeswalker? This because this will help inform uh, how we sculpt our top five. So let's start with Jer. Uh, well, first I think you have to look and see if it has an immediate home. Uh, I think that's something a lot of people don't do. They look at a planeswalker in a vacuum, like 
I think a lot of people were looking at the new format of Raska, Golgari Queen, I think is her name. Um, and they were like, oh, she's great. Like, she's going to be the nuts and aristocrats or, or like, even just in a, in a rock shell, like, uh, she's great. Like, her abilities are good. She starts with a lot of loyalty, but she just doesn't do anything that a deck really wants to do. Like, in aristocrats, you really want your sack outlets to be repeatable and zero mana in the rock you really don't want to be sacrificing your permanence as early as turn three or four hmm. uh, and and drawing cards isn't like sure late game you're you'll sack a land to to draw a card and gain a life and you also don't want your removal to be uh con- constricted you want it to be as ubiquitous as possible sure so and, the uh cmc three or less so, is... yeah just just looking if it has a home is uh can you really quickly just go through Vraska and all of her abilities? Yeah, sure. Sure. So she's two black green for a four loyalty planeswalker. So that's what I mean by she comes in with a lot of loyalty. She comes in with loyalty equal to her CMC, which is a, a plus generally. She has a plus two, which is another another big deal. You may sacrifice another permanent. If you do, you gain one life and draw a card. Uh, minus three, destroy target non-land permanent with converted mana cost three or less. And her ultimate, minus nine, you get an emblem with whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. So she has a, she has like a pretty, like... Pretty powerful kit. Yeah, and a pretty cookie cutter kit as well. Like the plus one gains you some incremental value. The minus three is some removal slash protection of some sort. And the ultimate wins you the game. Uh, But the reason I don't think she really has a home is is her you really want to look at the first two abilities and the the uptick in particular and i just don't think the uptick uh has that ability like a deck that wants that ability hmm. so the first thing i'm looking at when i evaluate a planeswalker is the ability that i'm going to be using the most often which is either the uptick or a zero if the planeswalker has one is like how much does the deck i want to put this in want that ability all right how do you evaluate planeswalkers? So, if there's anything different from what Jer said, um, I, w- I want to touch, and this this comes into my own evaluation as well. Is that for starters, card evaluation is very difficult, just as a whole. Definitely. And planeswalkers are probably the most difficult to evaluate card types in card type in the game. It's it's still very. I mean, it seems weird to say it's fresh because they've been around for like twelve years now. But it's still very fresh. It's still very new. And when you look at a planeswalker, it, it they all do things that look good. Like they're. It's easy to justify that a planeswalker is strong because if you play like if you're testing one out like Vraska and you play her and you think, okay, I'm going to use her to sack lands and gain life and to kill things. And Sounds good. when you play her, what does she do? Well, she sacks lands to gain life, draw you cards, and she can occasionally kill things. So you're like, oh, this is great. This card did what I had set myself up for it to do, which is why I think people include so many of these, uh, of Planeswalkers. Um, that's not really how I approach cards like this. Hmm. Um, I, If I'm including a Planeswalker, I want the absolute bottom of the card to still just be fine, to still uh, give me an opportunity to either change the tide of a game, um, if possible, you know, at least cement a board state if this card's going to die immediately. Um, so cards like uh, Dak Faden 
or uh, Gideon, ally of Zendikar, stuff like that. Very kind of like, not to spoil your future you, lists. Yeah, so I didn't ask Jared, like, give me an example of a good one, because that was going to give it away. But, like, but okay. Let's let's go with Dak Faden. Sure. Because, um, so Dak Faden is... Greatest Thief in the Multiverse. Greatest Thief in the Multiverse. He's one blue and a red yep. for three starting loyalty. Uh, first uptick, plus one. Target player draws two cards and then discards two cards. Minus two, gain control of target artifact. Minus six, you get an emblem that says whenever a creature, permanent. possibly permanent, it's or permanent. non is it non-land or just permanent? Permanent. Oh, there you go. Whenever you cast a spell that targets one or more permanents, gain control of those permanents. Now, Daxies play in Vintage. Yes. That is where he sees the most play. But... I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of artifacts running around. Yeah, drawing extra yeah, yeah, yeah. here. Um, so, if I look at Dak and I say, okay, a three mana investment. If I uptick and then Dak immediately dies, what am I getting? Well, I'm paying three mana to draw two cards, discard two cards, and gaining four life or blocking four damage. Yeah. Somewhere. Which costing them a turn or a spell or something. They can eat up a combat step. It can eat up mana investments on their turn to try and kill Dak. Ah, yes, the old planeswalker fog. It's. I mean, <laughs> it, it, you got. It, yeah, there are yeah, situations yeah, yeah. where, like, this is all this card's going to be doing, and that's fine as the absolute worst for me playing it, using its plus one and then it dying. If you look at the absolute worst for its minus two, is you play Dak, you pay three mana, you take one of their things, and then you eat up damage. And whatever you take could be like, I don't know, think of cheap artifacts in the format. Yeah. They're all pretty good. Yeah. Right? You grab a Moxon, so you ramp yourself, you grab. Or potentially uh, deprive them of a color. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You're not only ramping yourself, you're taking away one of their mana sources. Or you, I guess it's pretty bad if you play it and take something that's like symmetrical, like a winter orb or whatever. But you're probably not down taking on. No, you're probably not doing that. No. <laughs> but that. so, like looking at a card like that, and if I'm like comfortable with the plus one and it dying, and I'm comfortable with the minus two and it dying, I'm probably going to play this card. And I think that's an important thing is that Ben's looking at the average case, whereas if we go back to Vraska for a second and look at the floor on Vraska is if they have a, a board of things that aren't CMC three or less, so she can't, her downtick isn't usable, you're on four lands or you're, you're at a position where you don't want to sack a land, you plus two her, get no value, and then she probably eats, eats a combat step or part of a combat step, which is, in my opinion, isn't good enough because you're not getting any value. You're just using her as a, an overpriced fog basically or partial fog hmm. so I, I agree with ben there any last thoughts or comments on planeswalker as a whole before we start talking about our tops our top favorites lists or anything like that I mean, we've talked about how we evaluate don't, them go ahead don't leave this uh episode thinking that you can't test out these planeswalkers or that, oh, my mid-range deck has five Planeswalkers. Now North 100 will hate me. It's just like, no. It's, again, this is us with a very general view on the format and our opinions for deck inclusions. And, like, try out Planeswalkers. Because given your metagame, given your personal deck construction, your curve, adding more walkers can be a good thing. And sometimes you also need to take a step back and say, you know what? I'm going to leave Vraska on the table at home and 
sleeve up a, a mirror thrun or a thrun yeah, yeah exactly all right well then let's talk about our top five let's go with jer jer uh slow roll it too and then uh when we talk about the first five um uh your top five pardon me talk about where you include it and why you include it sure uh all right so i'll go five to one yep um and these are just my personal favorites yeah these are what we play not necessarily what we think is best for the format these aren't even the ones I play the most. Just oh, the ones, just the ones I like the most. All right, all right. And I, I do play them. Yeah. Uh, so my first one is Vraska Relic Seeker. So fifth place. Uh, yeah, my the fifth on my list. Uh, Six I, mana. I play this card definitely the most in the format. Jeremy loves this card yeah. so much. Yeah, I, I sat across <laughs> this on on a tournament recently. Right. It didn't go well. So I I don't tend to like six drops in in mid range decks. Uh, or even control decks that much. Uh, I think her best home is if you're playing ramp spell, so either like bug ramp or a, a rock style deck. Can you go through all the abilities too? Uh, right. Pardon me. Uh, so she's six mana, four black green, comes with, with six loyalty, plus two, make make a two two black pirate creature token with Minache. Yep. Minus three, destroy target artifact, creature, or enchantment, and you get a colorless treasure token that is a is a lotus petal so you can sack it for one mana of any color and then minus 10 target player's life total becomes one uh so same cookie cutter planeswalker style plus two get some value slash protection minus three removal minus minus 10 i'll win the game uh the reason i like her so much is gonna because i think like relative to other planeswalkers she's like her removal is more ubiquitous than most planeswalker removal you get the utility of being able to blow up artifacts or enchantments. Why do you also get a treasure token? Pirate matey. <laughs> uh, her, the creatures she makes have a relevant combat ability that also synergize with her ultimate. And she gets to ultimate the third turn after she comes down, which is very fast. She ends the game very, very quickly. Uh, if if you're playing a mid-ranger control deck and just one for one and then are able to slam Vraska on a relatively unopposed board, I think you're leagues ahead of your opponent in terms of likely to win percentage she's so. uh she has what uh what i'd like to coin as a primeval titan clock where you slam her does an immediate thing that scares people mm -hmm. if you untap you do one more thing where it's like oh god i'm really dead now and then the next turn surprise you're actually just dead yeah um and i i think people are scared off by them by the mana cost yep. uh but i i think she is, is just a great planeswalker and does everything mm. you want out of a, a six mana six mana card uh my number four slot is a card that's almost certainly worse but i enjoy more uh narset transcendent uh she's two white blue comes in at six loyalty has a plus one look at the top card of your library if it's a non-creature non-land card you may reveal it and put it into your hand Minus two, when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell from your hand this turn, it gains rebound. And minus nine, you get an emblem with your opponents can't cast non-creature spells. So this is a little less of a, a, a cookie cutter slot. She has no way to protect herself apart from the fact that she's a four mana planeswalker that comes in with six loyalty, which is mostly enough protection because you're, you're really only playing her in a, in a control deck uh, because that's the only way to utilize the plus one. You want to be a deck with very few creatures. I most often play her in Oath of Druids shells, so I, I haven't played her in a while because Oath of Druids isn't a very good deck. But uh, <laughs> I, I love this card. 
huh. you can do a lot of really wacky things. Uh, the minus two is very abusable in taking turns decks. Um, the plus one is is great, uh, just like being able to draw a card most of the time. You can abuse it with like decks, uh, deck manipulation, which you're likely to have a lot of in a deck that is able to play this. So, huh. number four, Narset Transcendent, one of the one of the more underrepresented planeswalkers in the format. This list is catching me completely off guard. Uh, number three, Venser the Sojourner. Uh, for those of you who have Old seen uh, one of the previous Bant uh, Friday Night Paper Fight Canlander events, I need to go. You will have seen a, a a deck I played with Brief. this this in it, or in my uh, or on my stream again. I play Bant Blink with uh, this card. So what are all the abilities? Quite a bit. Here? So this one's three white blue for a planeswalker comes in with three loyalty so pretty low for a five yeah. mana planeswalker but it has a plus two exile target permanent you own return it to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step uh so that one that ability is really interesting because if somebody for instance dax one of your moxes you can plus on no plus on the mox even though they control it because you own it and then you get it back uh the most underrated planeswalker ability in in magic is minus one creatures are unblockable this turn the amount of times you just play this card, they have a counter spell, they don't counter it, then you minus one and they die is astronomically high. Huh. Um, like, Venser, that doesn't do anything. And you're like... Yeah, they're like, oh, that just blinks things? Sure, resolves. You're like, minus one. They're like, what does that do again? Oh, no. And then minus eight is you get an emblem with whenever you cast a spell, exile, target, permanent. So Seems dece. Ultimate, you win the game. Minus one, you win the game a lot of the time. Plus two, get value. Um... My s number two on the list is Tamio the Moon Sage, mm. uh, a, a relic of yesteryear again. Uh, so she's three blue blue, comes in with th four loyalty. I thought it might have been three. Um, plus one tap target permanent. It doesn't untap during its control's next untap step. So you freeze a creature, freeze a permanent, yep. which is relevant. Yep. Um, it's really backbreaking when you cast this ahead of schedule and your opponent doesn't have creatures in play and then you're just stone raining perma stone raining yeah. your best land for the yeah. rest of the game uh and notably it taps it unlike a johnny vengeance ability so which is you always just get their best land johnny vengeance um space of johnny minus two draw a card for each tapped creature target player controls uh i've activated this ability maybe three times lifetime but when you do uh you're often drawing a lot of cards or you're about to die the next turn. So it's either very good or, you know, a Hail Mary opportunity. And then minus eight is one of the, the coolest ultimates. Uh, you get an emblem with, you have no maximum hand size and whenever a card is put into your graveyard from anywhere, you may return it to your hand. Uh, I've won a lot of games with this ultimate. A bunch of them in standard. So several in Highlander, but. Recall you? You're basically never, you're basically never losing after you ultimate this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my number one favorite Planeswalker is actually Tamiyo Field Researcher. Oh. And I think this is up there for most underrated Planeswalkers. I don't see her played very often, but I think she's absolutely amazing at pulling you ahead in the mid game, as well as being a reasonable card when you're behind uh, and good at winning you the game. Uh, so she's one plus Bant, which is green, white, blue. Comes in with four loyalty again. So four loyalty for a four mana Planeswalker, pretty good rate. 
uh, plus one, choose up to two target creatures until your next turn. Whenever either of those creatures deals combat damage, you draw a card. Uh, so notably, you don't have to choose your own creatures. So if you think they're going to be attacking Tamiyo or you or... And it, it doesn't say combat damage to a player. It just says combat damage. It's got the GTA uh, phrase Warning, in there. Yeah. So you have a pretty high chance of drawing two cards. The big brain <laughs> of targeting your opponent's creatures with that. Yeah, oh, and you yeah. can sometimes sketch them into like not pressuring your planeswalker. That's gonna yeah. You're like, go ahead and attack me. I'll draw, and they're like, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> and then minus two tap up to two non-land permanents. They don't untap during their controller's next untap step. So you can you can freeze artifacts, which can be good in in certain matchups, and you can also freeze creatures for like a whole two turn cycles. Like if you freeze two of your opponent's creatures on your turn, you then get to attack. They don't untap. You get to attack past those creatures again. And she can just minus two, minus two, two turns in a row with her loyalty, which I've done a lot to win hmm. win games. So if you're in a racing situation, she's absolutely amazing. And then minus seven, the ultimate is draw three cards. You get an emblem with you may cast online cards from your hand without paying their mana cost. Uh, once again, likely wins you the game, but you're almost never activating that. I feel like I've never read that minus seven before. That seems It's one of the good. Less, less relevant ultimates, I actually think. Like, you're likely playing this in a creature deck because both of her first two abilities yeah. want you to be, like, a pretty bored Where are you playing deck. Tamiyo? Yeah, I mean, so when, when we're looking at the previous cards, so Narset, Vencer, Sojourner, and Tamiyo, it, like, the shells are somewhat more straightforward. I've never been able to find a home for Tamiyo. This one? Yeah. I, I think she's amazing in Bant Blade. She's great in Bant Midrange. I've played her in Five Color Zoo. Uh, I think you just want to be a, a reasonably proactive deck that can look to always have two creatures in play, hmm. uh, like if, if everything's going according to plan, and the ability for the minus two to, to win you the game. The weird part about this card is this seems like another one of the Planeswalkers that you don't want to ramp out early, and that's why it seems kind of tough, because, you know... I think she's great if you ramp her out early. I mean, if you go Mana Dork into Bant 3-drop, pick whichever one you want. They're all pretty good into this. That's yeah. pretty scary. And that's up not exactly an unreasonable request for that kind of deck. No, up uptick, draw 2. If they have a creature in play, they're likely not going to block. So you force through damage if you target your 3-drop and their potential blocker. And then if they attack, and it's for the whole you target your attacker and their blocker, mm -hmm. and it and it's and it's for the whole turn cycle. So if they then attack Tamio, you still get to draw. This card is really messed up with Brimaz. You just like vigilance cat and their thing and smash, and because vigilance, if they attack into the Brimaz, and you get to draw so many. Cards. Why didn't anybody ever tell me how that card worked? It's also messed up with Edric. I got an extra copy if you're interested. I think I have a copy too. I think oh. I opened. I think I opened it in like a pre-release, and I was like, oh, yawn. Tamio, the too many manas and too many words. What? No, she's one too few manas and exactly the right number of words. Yeah, and she her ability stacks with Edric, so if you really want to dumpster your opponent in cards, if that's that's the game you want to play. So April twenty sixth for the next league, huh? <laughs> Serge is like, yep, Tamio. Interesting. T A M. Yeah, Edric. Uh, uh, what else are we talk about there? Brimez. Okay, yeah. Br Brimez. All right, I got three out of ninety seven. Let's go, Caracas. <laughs> so, wow. Um, gonna be honest, Jarrett, your list surprised me. Your list really surprised me. Yeah, and, and I'd like to note again, those are not the planeswalkers. I think are that are the best 
positioned or the most powerful in the format. Those are just my my, my faves. Interesting. <clears throat> How many do you think uh, your list of five and my list of five have in common? Uh, zero. You'd be correct. Ooh. Yeah, I'll go next here. All right. So, uh, Jared and I play very different decks. Uh, and the way that I went through this was, what, what is the Planeswalkers that I played the most? Uh, uh, and, I, and keep it in mind, the archetypes that I play are Prison, Enchantress, Pox, Occasionally, white green mid range, and 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 artifacty things. It's it's a weird wheelhouse. Murderers row. Yeah, like it's a very weird wheelhouse of archetypes that I that I play in. So let's go with my fifth place and my fifth place. When Thalia in the streets, moat in the sheets. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Carry on. So in fifth place, uh, I originally had Tezzeret Agent of Bolas, and I'll, I'll talk about Tezzeret Agent of Bolas. So four mana Planeswalker, two, a blue, and a black gets you a three loyalty Planeswalker. Plus one, look at the top five cards in your library. You may reveal an artifact card from among them, put it into your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Minus one, target artifact becomes a 5-5 five, five forever, like in Soul Artifact. And minus four, and this is an ability that Wheeler killed me with a lot, Target player loses X life, and you gain X life, where X is twice the number of artifacts you control. So I was like, oh yeah, that's a shoe in for place number five. And then we started talking about a Johnny Vengeant, and I was like, nah. But no, I'll keep, I'll keep Tezzeret up there. So in fifth place, Tezzeret, Agent of Bolas. Um, you could see this in old school, like, rock decks. Um, and old academy decks is sort of a value card. It's seen a lot less play in that now. You mean mana rock decks, right? No, no, sorry, 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 sorry. Mana rock, not, not the rock. Mana rock decks. I splash for Tezzeret, Agent of Bolas. <laughs> like, I think, I think, um, Sensei's Divining Top and Staff of Nin. Go get him, Golgari Sigma. Yeah, uh, <laughs> academy decks maybe five or six years ago were probably all playing this card. Um, because it, 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 this was before. Um, it went as combo heavy with uh, Paradox Academy and the stuff it's sort of seen now. And, and the Academy decks are like, I could produce a lot of mana, now what? Yeah, the classic conundrum was whether you splashed for Tezzeret and Baleful Strix or just Tezzeret. Yeah. Or Thopter Foundry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it was interesting. So this card at home there, I play this almost exclusively in my uh, workshop weenie list. Um, so it's plus one is gas. I mean, the chance of me plus wanting to not hit any creature or relevant equipment or anything like that is great. Uh, the minus one turns any of my irrelevant small creatures into suddenly, or artifact lands, is suddenly into a very relevant creature. It makes Hovermere playable. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, obviously the ultimate is fine. Um, I think with Tezzeret in the decks I play, and I don't even care about the minus four, like if you hit there, that's great, but you're getting so much value out of the plus one and minus one that it's it's kind of like the icing on the cake. You're not really trying to set it up, but you can, which is kind of cool. Silence from my co-host, good, good. I was I, just trying to think how icing involved, like you don't need to set up icing, but you can I, on a cake. I actually think this is one of the Planeswalkers you can play for its ultimate. Yeah. You don't necessarily play for it in that deck, but it's great reach, yeah. like I mean, if somebody motes you, for example. I'm, I'm, yeah. w I'm with you in that like you'll play this and you'll, you can, de definitely when you play this, you're like, oh man, go to ultimate and drain them for like 12 and then you're just like oh no wait i'm gonna make this a five five hit you for five make this a five five hit you for ten and now you're dead yeah and you're yeah dead. like and sadly 15 is more than 12. yeah we did the math <laughs> darn 
Uh, all right. Uh, I think I'm just going to move on to choice number four here. Now, choice number four is interesting. Uh, so I talked about a bunch of archetypes that um, I, I play a lot recently. But there was a while that I was on um, Abzan grind, Abzan attrition, uh, not quite a pox shell, but like a lot of recurring nightmare shenanigans. And I played a lot of Garrick Relentless. So four mana Garrick uh, for three and a green, and this is the this is the transforming Garrick. This is the the green on the front, black on the back one. So uh, four mana enters a three loyalty when it has two or fewer loyalty. Transform zero. Garrick deals three damage to target creature. That creature deals equal damage to him, or zero. Put a two two wolf into play, and on the back side, the back side's where things get really spicy. Plus one, get a 1-1 one, one black wolf with death touch onto the battlefield. Minus one, sack a creature. If you do, search your library for a creature card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shelf your library. And a minus three, a very spicy overrun. Creatures you control gain trample and get plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creature cards in your graveyard. This is green targeted removal. This card is great. It, it comes in. I remember Wheeler, again, this is a conversation from days past, was like, this is like an auto-include in every green mid-range list. Like... Green gets to lightning bolt another creature. This is great, and then it just it just does so much of what these creatures do. If you're playing a uh, an attrition style deck, having a creature in your graveyard when you're playing reanimates or ways to abuse that uh, means it's not even a downside. Sometimes it's actually a setup. Um, putting more bodies out never hurts anything, and I've won a number of games with that overrun, especially if you're dredging or you're filling up your graveyard over and over. This card is so good in the green mirrors. I don't know if in the current format climate, I would say slam it in every green deck. Yeah. But if you are in the green mana mirror, where, you know, it's if it always feels like, oh, I'm on the draw, my opponent's gonna go mana dork into mana dork into beat, yeah, prime time or what, like any top end thing, Garrick just like shuts down the shop. You just like play a dork, you ramp into this guy on turn two or turn three, you kill their dork, it flips, so they're down mana, they have to deal with this thing, and then you get to tutor for the best creature in your deck. So you can like find your primeval titan next First, turn. First, yeah. Or you can find, like they'll build up another threat, and you're like, okay, well I'll find my utility creature. Like I'll find a Rex Sage or whatever. Or you go get Dragonlord Atarka and just slam the door right shut. Grab a palace jailer, lock them out, kill their other door, get the monarch, stay a while. It's great. <laughs> All right, that's number four. Number three, Garrick Wildspeaker. So another Garrick here. I like this for the ramp ability it has. So four mana, uh, two green green gets you another three loyalty planeswalker. Yep. Plus one ability, untap up to two lands. Uh, very good. Minus one, you get a three three beast. Minus four, just OG overrun. This card just does so much that you want it to do in a fair, possibly even unfair deck. Um, um, like mana ramps, creates a creature, it's a win con. Uh, I've also seen people experiment with this in like old versions of Academy where you're like, wait, 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 if I can untap one of my lands that taps for a lot of mana. Double green. Oh, double oh. green's a little hard, but I like where this yeah, conversation yeah, yeah, is going. Yeah. So I played a lot of this. I'm going to try and go a little bit faster here because um, uh, we haven't gotten to Ben yet. We need to argue about our top five for the format. So love this card. I've played this card so much over the years. My number two, Liliana of the Last Hope. So three mana uh, black planeswalker for one black black plus one. Oh, I have to go from memory while uh, while the card gets pulled up there. Target creature gets minus two minus one. Yep. Until when? Until the uh, 
until the end, your next turn. That's the ticket. Hey, all right. Hey. Minus two, put up to two cards uh, from your library into your graveyard. Then you may return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand. And minus seven, you get an um emblem. At the beginning of your end step, you get X, two, two zombies, where X is the number of zombies you have plus two. Uh, this card is great. Carry on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's blasting in the neighborhood. Right. Yeah, uh, this card is great in creature decks. This card is great in control decks. This card, uh, probably not as much in control, but in sort of like the attrition control decks that I play where you get value back, I uh, this this does so much. And finally, the number one Planeswalker, according to yours truly, that I have played probably the most out of any of these, Elspeth Knight Errant. Four mana Planeswalker for two white white. Comes into play with four loyalty? Mm-hmm. Plus one, you get a 1-1 one, one soldier token. Great. Plus one, that's right, no minus. Target creature gets plus three, plus three, and gains flying until end of turn. And minus eight, you get an emblem. Artifacts, creatures, enchantments, and lands all are indestructible. Elspeth is amazing <laughs> in every archetype I like to play. Uh, she's a win con and enchantress because uh, it works with uh, opalescence. No, 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 humility. Emote. It works with moat and humility. So a lot of those decks, if you're if you're paving your own stuff and such, I've used her as a win con in pox and like wildfire decks too, because you're just like, if if everything's a one one, you're making one ones and you can jump over stuff. It's amazing. I've played her in mid range because all of a sudden your fair creatures get unfair and can fly. Gums up the board. I I this is my number one favorite planeswalker and I think she's very good. Yes, you are mm-hmm, Wheeler. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's funny. Uh, how many? How much overlap between all of our lists do you think there was? How I'm, many? I'm writing this down. All right, we've named ten planeswalkers right now. I'm gonna bet you we have one. Well, that's funny because I got a big fat zero here. Really? We got zero overlap now. Really? Mind you, my list here is I. I didn't go with my five favorite because a lot of my favorite planeswalkers are also the ones that I think are best in the form. Sure. Uh, I went with the five walkers that I think don't get the credit they deserve that are absolute like powerhouses and kind of some of them are kind of forgotten all right these, these are planeswalkers that i i stand with hard uh get your orzov basilicas ready um <clears throat> so my number five is soren solemn visitor so soren solemn visitor is two black and a white for i believe four loyalty uh soren's plus one is until your next turn creatures you control get plus one plus zero and gain lifelink the minus two is you put a two two black vampire token with flying into play and the minus six is you get an emblem that says at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep that player sacrifices a creature huh so this card looks really underwhelming yes first glance but when, it's one of those cards that once you actually play with it, you're just like, oh my god, how have I not played with this card before? Plus one-ing, which it's until your next turn. So much like Lillian, the last hope keeps a creature locked down for that full cycle. This makes your entire team just a nightmare to attack into if you're trying to race at all and just changes the clock when you swing over hmm. in the air with, oh, I don't know, maybe black vampire creature tokens that are flying. But they already have lifelink. It's redundant. They don't already. They don't have lifelink. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so I mean, like, most vampires is... Right. Um, pumping out tokens that have flying and two power is pretty huge. Yeah. Like, flying is... I mean, we've said this time and time again. Flying is, like, this OP ability. And once you start creeping up from one power to two power, it really shows. Hmm. This card being able to just kill opposing planeswalkers... Um, or just fly over and peck away at your opponent while gaining a whole bunch of life. 
uh, all comes together. The ultimate's kind of cool. You're probably not doing that because you're probably killing your opponent by, you know, plus oneing or making vampires. But it's there, and it's it happens relatively quickly. So you can just lock down the board if you really feel like you need to in a certain matchup. You can just play it, tick up, tick up, alt, and you're good to go. Hmm. Um, number five. And this is a card that I am so glad has earned qualifier points from our uh, local tournament circuit after it uh, was printed. Kaya Orzov Usurper. I knew this was coming. I love this Planeswalker so much. Really? Yeah, I am a huge fan. Uh, so one black and white for three loyalty. Uh, plus one, exile up to two target cards from a single graveyard, and you gain two life if at least one creature is exiled this way. Uh. Minus one, exile target non-land permanent with CMC one or less. And minus five, Kaya deals damage to target player equal to the number of cards that player owns in exile, and you gain that much life. So the plus one you are hard pressed to find a matchup where that is not going to be relevant. It might not be the super impactful, you're going to win the game, but this adds up. Like any any kind of racing scenario, this just, uh, you it puts you in a spot where it's really awkward for your opponent to ignore Kaya, um, as well as so many different threats in our format and so many different cards that give aggro decks and mid-range decks reach, like Deathrite Shaman, like Scrap Heap Scrounger, like various decks that might want to have like a fair reanimate sure or a, you know and that's the, that's even ignoring the graveyard based decks or yeah, decks delve looking or anything to, yeah yeah like this card says hey you're never casting that tomb stalker in your hand sorry is this is this a a meta call or are you just slamming this in everything uh it's well i wouldn't slam it in everything yeah but if the, the decks that this has seen success in have been the um, Orzov Death and Taxes deck, as well as the Esper, I don't even know what the hell we called it. It's aggro like an control. Esper aggro tempo-y, like hate bears-y deck. Hmm. Because this minus one, it seems like you're exiling, exiling a non-land permanent with CMC one or less. But there are so many cards in here, and they're not the, the cheap stuff in the format. Like, yeah, you might just exile a Land War Elf, but that hits hard when you have in mana intensive decks yeah. like Abzan Lands or Hoof. Um, I haven't seen this card minus five because they just keep on ticking up the exile or they get rid of pesky uh, blockers or death rights, whatever it may be. Hmm. But yeah, I love this card and I'm excited to play more of it or get in more than just the Super Friends list that I played. Uh, my number three is Will Kenrith. <laughs> Four blue, blue. I've never even heard of this Comes card. Comes into play with four loyalty, uh, plus two until your next turn, up to two target creatures have their base power and toughness turned into zero threes and lose all abilities. Holy crap, I got that right. <laughs> um, minus two, target player draws two cards until your next turn. Instance, sorceries, and planeswalkers that player cast cost two less. Minus eight, target player gets an emblem with whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you copy it and can choose new targets. And technically it partners with Rowan Kenrith. Uh, I tried playing Rowan with this for the meme. It's not good, joke's not worth it, don't do that. Um, so I've really enjoyed this card in the Super Friends lists and the, I guess the turns lists. Um, I remember playing this card basically when it came out in like a mono blue academy, take as many time walks, panoptic mirror shenanigans deck. And I included it mostly as like, I've always wanted to try these big clunky blue 
Planeswalkers out. And this card exceeded expectations. Hmm. The plus two, it just butchers your opponent's board. Losing abilities on utility creatures or getting, like, turning their best creatures into just zero threes. And you're a deck that's not really attacking anyways, so who cares? It's yeah, pretty you're huge. not worried about giving them blockers. But that minus two is massive. So being able to uh, restock your hand, poop down multiple time walks with planeswalkers or a setup spell or a tutor to find your time walk to keep the party going is it just you just win the game basically if you hmm. untap and get to start doing this. Um, the emblem only done it once. My opponent was so infinitely dead. I don't think it ever mattered, but it is a relevant ability that happens quite quickly. Again, it's a six mana walker that you uptick, uptick, and oops, you get to time uh, cast a time walk, take two. You get to wildfire their entire board. You get to, I mean, you can Armageddon twice. You know, world's your onion. Uh, never, never explored the double get in before, but I like it. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. My number two is Nahiri the Harbinger. Um, this yeah. is one that has kind of yeah. it. It's disappeared from a lot of archetypes, and I think that might just be a product of players moving away from that style. Uh, I know this card was very popular in the four color Kiki Pod decks that the pilots have mostly turned to trying out different variations because four color Kiki pod is kind of, we know how that show goes um, or Jeskai mid range decks going to more of a control strategy um, or super friends decks now having access to a pool of like 60 planeswalkers. Sure. Not. Now here he is two red and a white for four loyalty uh, tick up plus two. You may discard a card. If you do draw a card, not the worst. Uh, minus two, exile target enchantment, tapped artifact, or tapped creature. Um, pretty, being able to exile any enchantment, I'm always looking for ways to do that. Enchantment removal is this weird position in our format where, like, you don't want to include cards specifically to do that. Like, you'll see lists that played uh, Dramokas Command, a way to deal with enchantments, yeah. having phased it out, even though there's additional stuff on the card. Um, but playing this card and having that as a, an avenue to take is pretty great. Getting rid of a tapped artifact or creature, um, I mean, you get to kill a creature. And exiling's pretty big. And then the ultimate, my favorite, uh, you minus eight, search your library for an artifact or creature card, put it onto the battlefield, it gains haste, return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. Ha ha ha, good joke, next end step, that's not happening. Yeah. You're probably killing your opponent. I... And, I was playing a friend at PAX West a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, my buddy Dix, one of the moderators yeah. from Lur. And he actually, in Highlander, Nahiri got Emrakul and killed me. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I've experimented with playing like hard Jeskai control with OG Emrakul. And then more recent, or recently, with it, you know, two years ago, the uh, new Emrakul, the 13 mana mm. one. But honestly, the, the best creature to find with this card was always either Torrential Gearhulk or Inferno Titan. Because you're just like, if you get Gearhulk, cast your Mana Confluence or a Dig Through Time, sure. bash for five, you get it back. Or Inferno Titan, wrath their board attack, hit them for a million. She just ends games so quickly. Number one for you? Oh, my number one is Kaya Ghost Assassin. This is a card that... Pardon? I'm willing to swallow... This is, this is the good one. I thought this card was kind of a meme in that it was just a product of just mid-range slapping against other mid-range decks. This card is great. 
Uh, two, a white and a black for five loyalty. Zero, exile Kaya Ghost Assassin, or up to one target creature. Return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of your next upkeep. You lose two life. Minus one, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Minus two, each opponent discards a card and you draw a card. When you play this card, mm -hmm. you are going to draw so many cards. You are going to cause them to lose so much life. You are going to gain a medium amount of life because you end up losing two life when you reset Kaya with her first ability. So being able to have this card stick around is pretty easy considering if you're in white and black, you probably have some good removal options hmm. or good big beefy creature options. Um, and she just synergizes with what those decks are trying to do, as well as some of the cards you're already going to include. So being able to either um, blink their threat so you can push through damage, uh, reset your own Monarch cards, reset your own Eternal Witnesses, whatever it may be, uh, reset herself if you've ticked her down to make them discard and you draw, discard you draw, or if you just drain them out slowly. Hmm. This card has... There is not a situation when you're playing these colors that you won't be like, oh man, this Kaya does nothing. Hmm. Yeah. I'm very interested. All right, we are running low on time. Um, I didn't expect that to happen today, honestly, mm -hmm. but here we are. <laughs> so let's talk about our format top five. Uh, let's just go through the list really quick and then uh, we'll compare and then we'll discuss. Right. Jer, what do you think of top five are? Number five, Karn Sayana Verza. Number four, Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. Do you want me to go uh, describe what you shouldn't do, or is that too long? I think we just have to name them right now, just right. in the interest of time. Nissa, Voice of Zendikar, Ooh. Liliana, The Last Hope, and Jace, The Mind Sculptor. Interesting. Oh, interesting. So we have a... Jace we have at a, one. We have a Karn Scion there, and then we also had a... Uh, a Teferi. Teferi. Uh, yeah, Nissa, the three mana Nissa, right? Yeah. Interesting. My top five... Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, at five. Xenagos the Reveler at four. Three, Domi Raid. Uh, and my inclusion for those is I think they are really what help Hoof just go a next level up. Like, they're really only played in, in I mean, Teferi maybe... Hoof. Well, not Teferi Hoof, but the, the dev, those two. And, of course, in first and second place, I have Jace the Mind Sculptor and Lillian the Last Hope. Wow, that's really interesting. Just And just to clarify, Jeremy, what were your top two? Uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor and Liliana the last Okay, hmm, interesting. Uh, my top five. Uh, in fifth place, I have Tezzeret the Seeker. Um, fourth place, I have Gideon, Ally of Zendikar. Ooh. Third place, I have Garrick, Wildspeaker. Hey! Uh, second place, I have Liliana the Last Hope. And first place, I have uh, Jace Cunning Castaway. I have Jace the Mind Sculptor. <laughs> it's Jace the Mind Sculptor. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's the neat thing is... Um, other than, wait, no, checks it. I don't think, other than myself, um, where I had uh, Garrick Wildspeaker and Lillian of the Last Hope, none of us really had the, the top best ones up there. Um, what, what informed your decision as to why these are the top ones? Uh, I just picked the cards that I think Im are the best at impacting the game and fulfilling their role in the decks that they are played in. Interesting. Um, you have Karn, Scion of Una up there as one of the ones. Ur Scion Ur of Sorry, Una. Scion of Urza. Um, why? Uh, 
I think this card's still pretty underrated. Uh, I I think this card's actually very difficult to play with correctly, uh, and it's a card you can play. It's very easy to cast. You can play it in literally any deck, which is a big upside. And I think it is good at playing whatever game you want. If you want to play the value game, it's good at that. And it's uh, even if you have no other artifacts in your deck, it's going to win you the game eventually and is does a pretty reasonable job of that. So, hmm. uh, Any questions about other people's lists there? Mm, a lot of these, I mean, a lot of the walkers that you guys have on your top five that are not in my top five are like six to eight. Yeah. Um, Xenagos uh, Z- uh, and Domri are a little, I don't know. They're, for me, they're lingering closer to nine and 10 in okay. the format. Um, it's like, I just feel like Garrick kind of fills that role of busted sure. green planeswalker. One of the Garricks too. I don't know. This is hard. <laughs> it's really hard to figure out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think outside of Liliana and Jace, which I think are sort of in a tier of yeah. tier of their own. I yeah. Think. If we're talking like S tier, then A tier planeswalkers, there's yeah, only two S tiers. I think there's two S tiers and there's maybe like 12 to 15 a tier or 10 to 15 a tiers. Now people are going to ask us to make this list. So. Oh, I have it if you want. Really? <laughs> well, I have my 5 to 10. Oh, I thought I thought you made like an actual tier list cuz remember Liam made an actual tier list of every single counter spell in the oh, format. I have, oh, I have. Do you want to do you want to make a planeswalker tier list, Ben? I've got a planeswalker. We're going to give you we're, we're going to um, give you some homework. All right. Yeah, I'll I'll post the planeswalker tier list uh through Twitter and Facebook and the Discord. If you get it done fast enough, I'll try to add a link to the video. Perfect. Yo, I'll I'll do it on the ride home. Uh <laughs> My, 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 we'll look for that in the description below. My my super hot 5 to 10, though, for people like, why didn't you mention this? Yep. Uh, Chandra, Dak, Fade, and Nissa, Voice of Zendikar, Gideon of the Trials, uh, Tefri, Hero, Dominaria, they're all still really good. And uh, Karn is like 11. I was kind of yeah. surprised by the lack of Chad in our top fives, in all of our top fives. Gideon, Come Gideon, at me, bro. Gideon, Gideon was Zendikar. my number four. 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 On your oh, in your top five. Yeah. Yeah, but like. Do you mean Gideon Jura? Uh, any Gideon. Uh, we had he one had mention G- there. I had Gideon. Yo, hold on, let me finish. I had my two thought. Gideons. <laughs> I I don't know. I just I expected there to be more Chads that we talked about that is there. Boring. Is it? it that's I, is that, I was gonna say. I think it's just it's underwhelming. It's like, yeah, just Chad doing Chad stuff. I'm so sick of this card. <laughs> I included it in like every list that has white, but I am so sick of this card. It's like we think it's it's good but not great. Is no, this... I think it's great. No, it's like it's just like a solid eight point five. It's like it's like one of the best cards in your deck. You always include it, but it's just like okay, just all it does is win. It's like why why talk about Gideon? <laughs> all it does it's is like win. what do you what do you do, what do you yeah that's yeah, all that's it another does. song right. It's just like. Oh, Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, great. Here's our hour-long bonus episode where we talk about how this card just beats face, makes dudes, and pumps the team. Like, that's... Okay. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, due to time constraints, we're going to have to wrap the Planeswalker check there, unless you have any last things you want to talk about. Tybalt's not the worst walker. At me. That's it. (laughs) Chantra Blaze is the worst walker. Don't at me. (laughs) All right, so let's move to our closing segment, Powerful Magic. That's the new song. 
Up today, we have Ben Wheeler. Tell me a, a tale of spicy magic. I got something that's pretty short and sweet and a little tied into the theme. Because okay. we're talking about Planeswalkers. Yeah. For some of you that may be newer to the format uh, or haven't explored the years of lore from like the late 2000s Highlander, it was a wild, wild west. Yep. Uh, and there was a deck that I played that I like to call Five Color Cascade Stacks. Serge, you might be a little familiar with five color cascade stacks. It was it was uh, something I aspired to for a long time. It was on a pedestal, and I would just look above and be like, and if How you're wondering could... why people don't play it anymore, it's because it's about 27 points. Yeah, 27 <laughs> points. And that, in, in modern standards, it would be 27 points, and that deck at the time had a bunch of, like, Mistress, pointed Mistress Workshop, pointed moat at a time. Oh, like, our format was all over the place. All right, actually, one question. What, which deck had, in, in the history of the format, had more unpointed cards? Your Cascade Stack deck? Yes. Or Brett Frankson's uh, original Kiki Pod list? That Brett was Frankson's Storm. Brett Frank Over yeah, 30. Or, or the, oh, yeah. the old Storm deck? Because I remember Frankson had, um, like, Triple Mox, Breeding Pool, uh, not Breeding Pool, Birthing Pod, um, survival. Survival. Time walk. <laughs> time walk. Yeah. Just. Well, anyways, keep there was, going. There was an old Doomsday list that I found when I was trying to like look at some of the older versions in the format, yeah. and uh, it was like, yeah, here's this Doomsday list. Uh, your points are recalled. DT Black Lotus, and I just like plus oh, plus oh. like Mox Jet. <laughs> yeah, Mox Jet. We're just Mox Jet because we had some extra points. Um, so, anyways, this deck, absolute behemoth of an archetype. Um, it got I uh, it, playing the cascade creatures was probably not correct, but boy was it fun. Oh yeah, just um, spin the dice. So you were a five color stack deck with a bunch of mana rocks. Uh, I played the beautiful synergy of moat plus bloodbraid elf. Um, like you just had all these. It was just disgusting. All the it was like a disgusting display of like wealth as far as like these old beautiful magic cards just being inappropriately used at a bunch of eight drops. And I just want to cover one of the my favorite like turns that I've ever had in Highlander. Okay. It was just like it's very simple too. Uh, turn one, I believe, was Workshop Coalition Relic Mana Vault. Uh, turn two was just land, some other mana rock, and then I cast a card called Maelstrom Wanderer, which you actually gave me a foil copy for, I, I don't even remember We're like what. GP Vancouver eight years ago. It's like, yeah. I found you a gift wheeler. It was, oh, it was beautiful. So Maelstrom Wanderer, for those that haven't played a game of Commander, is uh, <laughs> five blue, red, and a green for a seven five legendary elemental that says creatures you control have haste. Cascade, comma, Cascade. So you cascade twice when you cast this um, absolute monster of a card. Now, being eight mana is great because it allows me to cascade into uh, a couple of good hits, very top-end hits. Now, remember, this was in 2009 or 2010, so a lot of Ugin wasn't printed. You can't even cascade into him anyways. He's garbage. Uh, so I had to settle with casting Wanderer on turn two. While I was on the play, mind you. Turn two. Uh, my first cascade was into Karn Liberated, a seven-drop Planeswalker that later in the turn exiled my opponent's only land. And then the second cascade was Tezzeret the Seeker. Uh, three blue-blue, uh, four loyalty, you plus one to untap artifacts, you at minus X find any artifact, and then you uh, minus five is like every artifact comes to five-five, you kill them. 
Um, so I had a 7-5 with haste in play that gave everything haste. Karn in play that I ticked down to get rid of my opponent's land. And a Tezzeret the Seeker that had minus two to find Time Vault. My opponent was dead in so many ways. <laughs> oh, it was, it, to this day, I always think like, oh, maybe I should try building this deck again because that was a really sick draw. This will never happen no. again. And that's uh, this is fun. blind, right? It's, no, no, no. This was it, this was a match that led my opponent to such anger that they wanted to have a blind seven game three, which was actually a pretty interesting and fun match. But this is a lot more all right. Know, Holy moly! Personal to talk about. Yeah, yeah, this is one of the, this is one of my like legends of Highlander. That was powerful. Yeah. <laughs> all right, everybody. Whoop. My chair just. Yeah. All right. All right, everybody. That's going to be our episode for today. Thank you very much. Also, look forward to more like War of the Spark and Planeswalker talk as as the uh, as the release the the um, the spoil the hype machine is in Preview full effect right season. now. Preview season. So check out all of those. Thank you so much, and we will see you next episode. So a reminder that. North 100 is brought to you by your support over at the Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. You're all the best. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Cheers.